Hello and welcome to season two of Diving Into Diabetes, the podcast where we explore the latest advances in best practices on individualized diabetes care. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Goldenberg, and our topic for discussion today is overcoming the challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. Uh, with me on the program today is Dr. Bruce Perkins. Dr. Perkins is the director of the Leadership Sinai Center for Diabetes at the University of Toronto. He's a clinician scientist with extensive experience doing cohort studies and trials for important issues in type 1 diabetes. He's dedicated to patient-oriented research and actually lives with diabetes himself since he was a teenager. Um, so welcome, Dr. Perkins. I'm very excited to have you on today. Ron, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here as well. Great. So let's get started. And we're going to uh, discuss some important issues and uh, challenges uh, related to living with type 1 diabetes. So let's start off based on your experience. What are the typical challenges faced by those living with type 1 diabetes uh, today in 2023? Yeah, that's a, a great question. It turns out there's a lot of them. So if I were to categorize them, I mean, the first one is the challenge of just, frankly, getting by day to day and managing reasonable blood sugar control. Uh, so an aspect of this is that we have a lot of tools that can help better insulins, better ways of managing blood, uh, of measuring blood glucose, of delivering insulin, but uh, somehow getting through the day managing all of these choices and this huge amount of burden involved in getting through the day, I would say is the first major challenge. Um, the second is that there are dangers with type 1 diabetes. Like type 1 diabetes is actually a fatal disease. People can die from it, from insulin lack or relative insulin lack. We call that diabetic ketoacidosis. And somehow it's something that gets forgotten. And um, there's still five to seven out of every hundred people with type 1 diabetes each year who are going into diabetic ketoacidosis. And to me, that's a fundamental issue that we have to bring to the uh, forefront. And then uh, the final thing is, like everyone with any form of diabetes, we need to do all those things to prevent complications, prevent cardiovascular disease, which people with type 1 are at an extremely accentuated risk of. And those things are often kind of forgotten at the cost of getting by day to day with blood sugar control. So thanks. That's a great introduction to our uh, topic, but I, I hate discussing the negative side of diabetes because things are so optimistic these days for uh, healthcare providers looking after individuals with type 1 diabetes and especially for individuals uh, themselves. So, you know, we've come a long way in uh, the hundred years or more since insulin was uh, discovered and there's been incredible innovation uh, in the field, particularly uh, related to glucose monitoring, like you said, and uh, insulin pumps. So let's take a, a deeper dive and uh, have you review with us very briefly uh, how things like continuous glucose monitoring and insulin pumps have improved the lives for individuals living with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, so they def both of these definitely have. So the first component is the insulin pump. Basically, you load a little device with a fast-absorbing insulin, and then it gets delivered at an hourly rate. Um, it's actually delivered at an hourly rate, but every five minutes. And that gives someone basal insulin, the amount of insulin they need for when they're not eating. 
Um, but then when they eat a meal, they need to take a bolus of insulin. So it's a, a way of taking uh, a fast-acting insulin, one alone, and delivering it for all of the insulin needs, basal as well as bolus for food, and also bolus to correct high sugars. Um, so then the second piece is a continuous glucose sensor. Now we have these great uh, devices inserted with a needle that goes in and out and leaves a little filament, and it kind of... Um, uh, it samples the glucose in the interstitial fluid under the skin, which is a pretty good proxy for blood sugar. And so then someone can look at this and they can make decisions about their insulin. But it's a perfect opportunity to have the glucose data um, go directly to the pump or to an algorithm that can then uh, that can be in a little computer or generally on a phone or a device that looks like a phone that can then make a decision about adjusting the basal insulin or adding on some of these correction doses if the sugar's running too high. So the first um, example of this was a situation where if someone's going low, for example, during the night when they're sleeping, if they don't respond to an alarm, it can just shut off insulin for a couple hours and then turn it on again. That was called low glucose suspend. It did a great job in preventing hypoglycemia. But why on earth wouldn't we have it work on the opposite end if someone's climbing in a blood sugar that it's starting to give more basal insulin, but on top of that, more importantly, correction doses of insulin. So these systems uh, now exist. That's the concept of what we call automated insulin delivery. But I would just emphasize, Ron, that it sounds magical, like, oh, put this on and all my sugars will be perfect. It's just a tool to help adjust basal insulin and give some correction doses of insulin. It's not covering food, the person still needs to kind of count their carbs or estimate their insulin dose for food really well and give that dose before they start eating. So the other term for automated insulin delivery is hybrid closed loop because the pump is uh, managing aspects of the insulin delivery, but the person is managing also aspects of it, the food boluses. So it's the hybrid of the two approaches. Now you can imagine how Frederick Banting, if he could view what was happening today with the delivery of uh, insulin compared to the crude way it was done back in the 1920s, I think he would be uh, very uh, impressed. But I think, uh, you know, our patients live with great fear of hypoglycemia. And I think uh, these uh, tools have uh, probably not eliminated the fear, but uh, dramatically uh, improved that fear because, uh, you know, a number of years ago, there was a survey of patients with type 1 diabetes, and they actually feared hypoglycemia more than developing blindness from their diabetes on that survey. So I think uh, with that in perspective, these new tools have uh, dramatically uh, helped. But do you think, uh, Dr. Perkins, that everybody with type 1 diabetes uh, should be using uh, CGM and or uh, hybrid closed-loop pumps? Yeah, so my personal philosophy on this is that I wish that everyone with type 1 diabetes could have the opportunity to make that choice for themselves. So we have really good injected insulins now. And, you know, some people somehow manage pretty well on finger stick uh, blood sugars, just checking before each meal and at bedtime, plus some extras. Um, and they do well, and they, they're they leading very functional, happy uh, lives. And so if someone is doing well on those, it seems really tough to now push them onto therapies that they may not prefer to be on. So, for example, 
To be on a pump and a sensor means you have to wear these devices. That can feel weird. It can look weird uh, for you. Some people lose confidence being around other people, uh, that it's a sign of their uh, condition. So to me, it's a choice that I wish everyone had. Um, and it's a choice that I kind of push people into if they are struggling. But there's a proportion of people who somehow or the other manage really well on more vintage tools. And I would never push someone who's meeting their goals and living life well um, to take on another therapy that they may not want to. I hope that made sense the way I described it. I think so. And uh, even though patients are still on kind of old-fashioned, multiple daily injections, uh, you know, the newer analog insulins, uh, especially the new uh, basal long-acting analogs have uh, made hypoglycemia less uh, of a problem for those with type 1 diabetes still on injections. And using multiple injections with CGM seems to be very helpful uh, as well. Exactly. Yeah, if you're going to choose one of those pieces of technology, the, the glucose sensor, the CGM, makes the most sense because we do have great injected basal insulins and other insulins now, you're right. But I guess the key message to our listeners is it's fantastic to have all of these options and uh, certainly personal preference and that conversation between the patient and the healthcare provider is important, but it's nice to have these options to improve the lives of individuals uh, living with type 1 uh, diabetes. So moving on, uh, you have many patients with type 1 uh, diabetes. Can you uh, give us some key pearls that you typically provide to your patients uh, to help them stay healthy when living with type 1 diabetes on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. So even though a healthy lifestyle, committing to exercise most days and eating a healthy diet that doesn't have like um, the um, high glycemic index foods, like high uh, healthier uh, foods, even though that's not a cause of type 1 diabetes, uh, it definitely helps to establish that sort of foundation uh, to add on all these other things, whatever insulin regimen and how it's administered. Somehow it never goes well unless someone is making a great commitment towards healthy lifestyle, diet, and exercise. So that to me is a, a key thing. It's not the only treatment, but without that foundation, it's really tough to now move on and do well. Uh, with other aspects of therapy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I feel like it always pays for someone with type 1 diabetes to just understand the their insulin regimen and what it's doing. When you take a fast-acting insulin that is not acting immediately, it only peaks in the blood in an hour to an hour and a half, even though some of it gets in immediately, and it lasts for four hours. Understanding that, understanding how their basal insulin work, works. Getting into some of those details always pays off because when you're living with it and trying to make a decision, oh, I'm about to get in the car, but I have this much insulin still acting and it's dropping, I can make a decision. Or I'm about to run out and, and uh, do groceries, uh, but my blood sugar is at this level. Understanding the previous doses of insulin and how long they act help someone kind of get through their day magically <laughs> than if they uh, are just making big assumptions about how their insulin works. So those are two kind of key things that I need for people with type 1 diabetes to understand. There's this uh, terminology or phrase in medicine, uh, see one, do one, teach one. And I think living with type 1 diabetes is a good example 
of that. Um, you have to live with it and experience it and then uh, learn uh, from uh, your experiences. Yeah. So, absolutely. you know, type 1 diabetes is a condition looked after by uh, a whole slew of healthcare professionals and uh, so family physicians are involved and certainly diabetes educators and nurse practitioners. Um, any advice you would give to these uh, individuals, particularly related to caring for people with type 1 diabetes? Yeah. So, I mean, I would promote those two kind of things I just mentioned, healthy lifestyle, make that commitment and understand your insulin, like even little bits at a time over time. Um, but specifically to like a primary care uh, physician who may not, you know, understand, let's say these devices and exactly how to interpret them. I would say, don't be intimidated by them. When you have a person living with diabetes in front of you who's wearing a pump or wearing a sensor, say, show me your basal insulin, show me your food bolus, your correction bolus. How does it work? Show me your trends in glucose. Because trust me, as a family physician, even if you feel intimidated, let's say by a glucose report, you intuitively understand it. It's not you that's the problem. It might be the report. Uh, and just looking at it, you will understand. So do not, my advice is do not be intimidated by these things just because they're technologies. They are simply meant to show us blood sugars and help us understand them. And they're simply meant to provide insulin. So you have the tools necessary to understand these things. So take those advantages when you have someone with type one in front of you. And I think that's great because more and more healthcare providers are going to have to be aware of these newer tools like CGM and insulin pumps as they get utilized more and more. Yeah, and Ron, I would I would say like you would hope that these would just be plug and play. You know, you just put someone on this device and it manages their diabetes, but it's a long way away until it does that. The person has to be engaged and therefore their team, including their family doctor, needs to generally understand this and help coach them through it. Excellent. So finally, um, you're on the forefront of research uh, in type 1 diabetes. Um, you've uh, uh, done some uh, excellent uh, studies over the years, uh, but I'd like you to uh, look to the future for a second and tell us what you think will be the most important new development in type 1 diabetes care in the coming year. All right. So I'm going to leave the technologies, even though there's a few things to refine that, but you already get it. You know, they're going to be miniaturized. They're going to be better. They're going to have better algorithms. They're going to use machine learning and personalization. But just, just imagine that and put that aside. The next is someone diagnosed with diabetes. Actually, the next is someone who's not yet diagnosed with diabetes. We now have uh, a therapy. It's an immune therapy. The specific drug is, drug is called teplizumab that's been approved in the US anyway for people who are at risk of developing type 1 diabetes, and it actually has a biological effect. It doesn't completely uh, negate getting type 1, but it delays it by over two years, and that's a starting point. It means that we can figure out better ways to dose, this, dose it to prevent it for longer. Um, but to me, more importantly, because it actually is tough predicting who out there is going to get type 1 diabetes, to me, more importantly, it gives us a new um, wave of confidence to investigate this drug and similar drugs in people who are at the moment of being diagnosed with type 1, that kind of immune emergency when they're losing insulin-producing cells. So to me, that's one big area, immunotherapy for new-onset type 1 diabetes. Uh, the second is this, the uh, cell-based therapies, which 
Now it's getting more and more exciting. We've got stem cell derived islets. Islets are the little clumps of cells that make insulin and also glucagon and the other hormones, somatostatin, uh, that um, uh, are now in human trials. And it's already common knowledge that in one of these studies, uh, someone has been insulin independent for well over a year from receiving infusion of these cells. Now, the the trick here is that that person needs immunosuppression medications, which isn't the easiest thing, but they are getting better to and easier to take. Um, so it's a solution that uh, there's no question in my mind we're going to be using clinically, um, you know, at some point in these next uh, these next years. Maybe not for everyone with type one. I think eventually we'll be able to design these stem cells that can be replaced for everyone. And I'll leave it there. Maybe I'll just list a couple other things. Type two diabetes. There's these like transformational drugs that have helped manage blood sugars in people with type two, and also decrease heart disease and, and kidney disease and uh, heart failure uh, risks. Um, and we are doing more and more research to understand how these could be applied in people with type 1 diabetes on top of their insulin to make blood sugar smoother, but also help them prevent these terrible complications uh, as we are doing a good job in people with type 2 diabetes. So that's another area of research that I think we need to focus on. Great way to end our podcast for today. And if I could just recap for what you eloquently reviewed with us uh, today is that uh, there's still an incredible burden for living with type 1 diabetes, but with advanced and newer technologies over the years, like continuous glucose monitoring and newer insulin pumps, we've come a long way to improve the lives of our patients with type 1 diabetes. But there's even more room for optimism looking into the near future for preventing type 1 diabetes, uh, for uh, uh, intervening to prevent uh, complications, and perhaps even curing type 1 diabetes uh, uh, in the future. So thank you, Dr. Uh, Perkins, for uh, joining us. And thanks to all for listening to this latest installment of the Diving Into Diabetes podcast series. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of overcoming the challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and stay tuned for new releases.